Forgiveness is a gift that I give myself. If I don't, I'm the one damaged. I have no power to bestow something upon you, but if I can forgive you, it heals me. Welcome back to In Session with Jared and Clay. I'm Dr. Jared Cox. I'm glad you're here. Typically, I record the intro to our show before we do the recording of the session, but today I'm doing this after we've already finished. And there's something that just feels more insightful about this, something that feels more connected, more meaningful by doing it this way. And so I may continue to do it this way. We'll see. Today, you're about to hear what we think is our best session so far. It's certainly our deepest, certainly the one in which the four of us were the most connected with each other. The discussion starts with some thoughts that woke Clay up out of his sleep at 3 a.m. the night before. And not just the kind that you have while you lie there as you hope to go back to sleep, but the kind that gets you up out of bed and makes you write things down. You're going to hear us take what amounts to less than half of his first page, and the conversation just flows from there. Today's leadoff question is, what do we do? Let's put this in real practical terms, everyday terms. What do we do? I don't know how you listen to shows. If you listen while you work or if you listen while you drive or while you run, I don't know. But however you do it, when you listen today, make sure you can hear the heart behind this session. It is why we are here. Okay, here it goes. I think we can, we can start with about three things. And we've mentioned some of, of this before, but the first... The first one, I'll, I'll use the word acceptance. I think we can start with that idea of acceptance. And what we should accept are all narratives of history. We don't have to compete with narratives of history. We should, they should be inclusive, and we should get to the point where we can accept you know, all of those. Mm-hmm. We can agree that we've, you know, had a past, a collective past. And whether we see it differently or not is secondary. We, we can agree about aspects of the past, and we can accept a complete and a collective narrative about that. I think we can also agree upon the fact that we have a present. We are here now in this space, in this time, still dealing with with some of these issues Mm -hmm. and i think we can agree that we should move forward and moving forward is always that's kind of the the sticking point it seems like what what do we do we found ourselves here before you know what what do we do So, so if we start with that idea of acceptance and agree on those things then i think we move into the idea of the apology, and we've talked about this a little bit before, and we've even uh, laughed a little bit about it, but but in all sincerity, there needs to be an apology. And I got to thinking about that, and we might can use a couple of other words, you know, that help us out, because when you hear the word apology, 
we tend to to shift over into well I've, there's been a transgression mm-hmm. that has been committed and there certainly has been transgression but that's what makes it if I didn't commit the transgression then it makes it way too easy for me to say I don't I don't need to apologize I didn't do that so so there's a level of apology that is connected to a, a transgression but there's another level of apology that is simply connected to empathy. I might characterize that as, as simply saying, I'm sorry. Uh, for example, and, and, and God forbid, you know, something happened to any of our loved ones, but let's, let's uh, and I'll even say it like this. I have a, a friend the other day walked in and, and his mother had passed away. I hadn't heard. I didn't know. And he told me his mom had passed away and my immediate response was, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry to hear that. And so one might say, well, that's not an apology because I didn't have anything to do with her passing away. But in a sense, it is an apology, at least, at least in that vein of sharing empathetically the sadness that another experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think both of those levels are appropriate when we're talking about uh, racism. So I, I would, on behalf of a country that has had a deaf ear, a blind eye, you know, I would apologize, you know, to minorities, to blacks, to all the marginalized people that have suffered or incurred injustice, blatant, on-purpose injustice, and unintentional injustice doesn't really matter in this case. I would certainly like to apologize because there has been transgression occurred. But maybe even more importantly and, and more in a way that connects us as humans, I want to say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for the things that have happened. I'm sorry for all of the sadness and the suffering that goes along with, you know, this ugly abstraction of of racism. And I think all of us can do that. All of us can connect in an empathic way with other human beings. And so with acceptance, with that agreement, I think, that apology and I'm saying I'm sorry, these are these are steps to a beginning to get us moving. And then thirdly, I think it's listening. Because listening somehow validates the human experience. And if I can listen and it sets a climate that I can talk and we can have dialogue. And then we can begin to brainstorm, begin to get creative, start finding new paths or new ideas or new new ways forward because we start to collaborate. And to me, that's at least a beginning. I don't know what you guys hear or what you think about that, but, but if we could collectively just get people there to accept, agree, to apologize, and, and then to listen, uh, we'd, we'd have a beginning. Because that's resonate? Does it sound reasonable at all, or, or am I in a pipe dream? What do you think? It sounds great, uh, and I think it's 
the right step. But I don't, you know, saying sorry just on the lowest level is is really hard um, because in a lot of ways um, you're you're taking ownership, and when you feel like you had nothing to do with the situation, you're now the person to blame. And I, I think we live in a culture where nobody wants to be blamed for much, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see that side of it, uh, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and people don't want to do that. But I think it's necessary. The chaplain side of me says Scripture teaches us to allow ourselves to be wronged, even if we're not guilty of it. We allow ourselves to be wrong for the sake of unity and love and reconciliation. Sometimes you have to let yourself be blamed and you've got to be strong enough to allow that to happen. And, you know, I I would hope that our culture would mature to that place. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my, my parents didn't own any slaves. I didn't own any slaves. Yeah. But were slaves owned. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. The larger picture, the larger context, which moves into that idea of acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. I can't exclude myself just because I wasn't alive at at that time. When we're talking about this big systemic racism idea. And and maybe the distinction, drawing that distinction between the transgression, you know, and the empathy, Mm -hmm. you know, and hope. Holding that yeah. because I, I always say I'm sorry when a loved one or a friend of mine yeah. has suffered yeah. some yeah. sadness. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And we certainly have suffered that. That's perfect, Coach. But then I, I look on the other side of it. There's a receiver <laughs> of that apology, and on the flip side, there are people who won't accept apologies. Right. right. I am not accepting your apology. It is what it is, right? So there's work on both ends. So for our listeners, especially those who are, are white, they're going, why do I always, it's always me. And somebody has to be the leader in this, right? Yeah. But then I will say on the other side for people, and not just black people, everybody who has dealt with injustice, you have to accept the apology. Let me say that one more time. Accept the apology. I have friends that always question the apology. That's not sincere. They're just saying that to pacify the moment. And then they're going to forget. And it's going to go back to the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. You got to get rid of that, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we don't like to talk about that yeah. side too yeah. much. So. Well, that's true. And, and I think there's probably good reason they think that, because experientially, mm-hmm. that that's what we've experienced. Quite often, there has been an apology. Mm-hmm. And it has kind of gone back to the same way. So we really got to reach out. And again, that's why I call these the beginnings. No doubt. Because then the real work has got to come after this. Because we've done that. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. Like you're, like yeah. you're pointing to. We've done that, but then nothing is... Uh, it's slowly changing. But this is... We're talking about generational change. You know, we're talking about change that occurs over 25 or 30 years. Yeah. So I had this conversation just last week with a student of mine, and and the student was like, I asked them to participate in something, and they said, Mr. Darden, I'm just tired. I don't feel like talking. I don't feel like doing all of that. For what? It's not going to change. And I heard the angst and the sadness and sorrow and the skepticism and all of that. And my response, it just came to me real quick, and it reminded me of scripture that said, don't get weary in well-doing. 
So you you have to keep on keeping on it. If it takes an apology and it goes back where you, you you've got to be keep doing it, right? Yeah. And maybe that's a, a message that we need to preach. Yeah. Keep doing it. Eventually we'll get to that place. It might not happen overnight, but yeah. let's keep working it. My 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 mom used keep on keeping on mm-hmm. all the time. That was that was a phrase uh, that I'd always hear. And you're right. That's that's a big one. And you know, the, the another word that starts with an A that I'd use in that uh, too, uh, Coach. And you know, we and we've talked about this too. It's just the the there's an acknowledgement mm-hmm. level, and I think the empathetic sorry is part acknowledgement. I I acknowledge that these things happen to you and I am so sorry that these things happen. Because, you know, for me, I it's hard for me to blame even you, you telling me sorry, because that that you're sorry, that is big, you know, for you to say that and for for us to hear it and 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 we have to accept that. And um it, it's a big thing. But I also know that it's not, you didn't do anything. I know you personally didn't do anything. You hadn't hurt me. And I know, I just know you, you, you know, we've all done things wrong, but, you know, I, I just know your character. And and so I'm not looking at you as someone who has wronged me, mm-hmm. but for you to say that to me, it means something because that means I feel for you and I wish you hadn't had to go through that. And, and as of right here, right now, I'm going to not contribute to you feeling that way ever again and hoping that you, and I will be with you to make things right, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that's a big thing. And I will, and to acknowledge that these things have happened. Yeah. Because a lot of people that won't say sorry, they won't even acknowledge that these things have happened to us mm-hmm. in the past. That is to me right there is what keeps those wounds still open. Yeah, absolutely. In in the world of therapy, that's a re-traumatization. Mm-hmm. Every denial, every turn of a blind eye, every rejection that you experience in relation to the original trauma. Yes. It's a re-traumatization. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that goes into the maintenance of systemic racism. So, so let me say this, too, because you touched on something that, that I experienced personally, right? So I know my family's history and how we came to be here. But my grandfather, he's 87, and I mentioned him a couple of times, lived under Jim Crow. And I would go home to visit him and he would tell me the stories and the experiences that he had. And did that shape the way I feel today? Absolutely. Right. So Mm -hmm. so that trauma is not too far removed from us, to be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when people say "Uh, you got to get over that, Mm -hmm. we're actually still experiencing it. And then I think about this generation, the millennials and and generation Z, they're in the thick of it right Right. now, right? So just because it's not slavery, when you see, we call that PTSD, right? You had something traumatic that happened and maybe it happened to your dad who was in Afghanistan, but he comes home and the effects of that PTSD does impact the kids. And then the kids have stories about how they're, you know, and it gets passed on and passed on, right? So yeah.
I'm gonna go on the flip side. And I may be moving too fast, Coach. If I if I move too fast, you tell me. The other side of this that is extremely difficult, and I say this, and I and I say this with all due respect for my for my people, for 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 those of you that are listening out there that are black, is the forgiveness. And if someone's going to say they're sorry, we need to forgive. Mm-hmm. And that's been hard. Uh, that's been hard for for I think for black people to do and. You know, forgiveness actually truly needs to happen, even at times where <laughs> they say whether they say they're right, sorry or not. Right, right, correct. correct. Uh, yeah, forgiveness is an idea that sometimes is really misunderstood. Yes, because truly, between us, between human to human, forgiveness is a gift that I give myself. If I don't, I'm the one damaged. Mm-hmm. I have no power to bestow something upon you, but if I can forgive you, it heals me. Right. To not forgive another is like drinking poison and expecting another person to die. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad you brought it up because it's really, and it's not just black people, it's white people. It's it's all all of us. Yeah. We, We must learn to engage in the forgiveness process because it is a process you can't just decide to do it and it happens and to not forgive is you know people saying well i can't forgive them because then i'm condoning everything that they're doing and that whole and so i can't do that correct because we'll continue to get stepped on and mistreated and do those things well you know like you said people are going to do what people are going to do anyway But for you, for you, for your person, for your psyche, for your mental health, for your spiritual health, you have to forgive. We have to forgive. And that is, it's a process. It it takes time. It's going to be over and over and over again. Multiple times. Multiple. And, you know, this is like anything. It's kind of like, you know, we talked about, we talked about uh, alcoholism and it's something that you... Every day you continue to get up and you, it's all over again. It's you one day at a time, they say. Right. So it's forgiveness. I may have to forgive somebody each and every morning that mm-hmm. I wake up for mm-hmm. something that they've mm-hmm. done to me Correct. because it hurt that much. But I tell you what, my whole day goes better when I forgive them that morning and it just makes for right. a better day. Yeah. And you're, you're so true because we probably have to start with what forgiveness is not. Mm-hmm. And it is not saying that didn't matter. It's not saying, oh, it's no big deal. It's not saying, don't worry about it. It's not saying, yeah, continue on. No, it, it is real forgiveness starts when I acknowledge mm-hmm. that I have been transgressed. And it is not okay. Right. And it is not a good thing. I'm not trying. Forgiveness is not an attempt to make a bad thing bearable you know it's absolutely not right and so when i take when i accept that forgiveness is it is a transgression then i feel it you know really lean into it and feel it Mm -hmm. and feel the hurt then i can come to a point to where i can make a decision to either hold on to it as a resentment or to forgive 
and I have to do that thousands of times. Thousands of times. You hold on to it to resentment. It poisons you. If you choose to forgive, you get this little kernel of healing that happens in your heart. And that's what the country desperately needs is healing. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about these things, and they certainly don't talk about them publicly very much. But I'm so glad you brought it up because forgiveness is, is really an essential part of what do we do now. So, yeah, we should add that to the list of acceptance, apologies, listening, forgive. Yeah. I have a lot of questions and some observations, but one of the things that has been on my mind lately is where is forgiveness? Right now, if you look or if you listen, plenty of advocacy groups out there are saying justice, equality. Some say unity. If they're out there, I don't, I don't know about them, but I don't hear anybody advocating for forgiveness. Right, you, which you, is a problem, mm-hmm. I think, because we can't. You know, we talked about Christianity last week, and maybe it's incorrect to presume this, but I'm presuming that Christians are going to have their mind on forgiveness. Well, we would hope so. We'd hope yeah. so, right? <laughs> <laughs> but who can advocate for forgiveness other than the people who are being oppressed? That leaves a lot of people, the white people, white people cannot advocate for forgiveness right here. It's like death if you say that, right? You mean at, like asking for forgiveness? Um, I think, I think well, maybe in that light you could do it, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about, you know, I can't go out there and say, hey, <laughs> right now this me. world needs more forgiveness, <laughs> well, I don't right? Know. I can't say that. I don't know if, if that campaign would go very far. No, and uh, and while it may it be true, it might. I can't say it. Well, mm. I think you can ask people to can forgive ask. you. But again, that goes back to the drawing that distinction with the apologies. Mm. We're not going to ask for forgiveness if we don't believe we've done anything. Wrong, and I and I will say that forgiveness might very well be the path that leads to justice and equality, oh, and some of those things. And and maybe we've missed, you know, the whole organization of trying to find justice and equality prior to forgiveness. Maybe that's one of our roadblocks that we're mm-hmm. finding as as humans. We know they go together somehow. Mm-hmm. But if we've got the order reversed, maybe that's something that's uh, that's really stopping us. So I, I think your questions and your musings are, are very good, and I think it highlights some of our challenges. Well, I'm sitting over here thinking about in terms of leadership. That's where my mind goes. My mind goes to, you know, when we talk about what do we do, it occurs to me that forgiveness is somewhere, some way, part of all of this. It, but you know what? There has to be acceptance of the process of forgiveness. It's going to be tough. There are going to be a lot of people. Tell me if I say something inappropriate here. But if assuming that black people need to forgive white people 
there are a lot of black people, just like anybody else, that will really struggle with forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They'll struggle with the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. They'll struggle with the, the need to do it over and over and over again. And the white people are going to have to accept that. They're going to yeah, have to yeah. accept the growth process mm -hmm. yes. as all of the black people grow in their ability and capacity to forgive people. White people have to accept that growth. Mm -hmm. And I will add, and that will be tough. I'll add to that that I would say that white people must forgive black people who can't forgive. The black people who struggle with forgiving. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. No doubt. If you don't mind, I think... We'll backtrack just a little bit because I don't want to because I love this path that we're on. But I know you talked about, uh, Jason, and I know you talked about justice before in the past, especially even in a spiritual way. That word's very confrontational. So when, you know, what, what happens is when, when it says that black people are looking for justice, it sounds like a fight. Mm -hmm. I really do. I, I think on both sides, people, we're getting ready to fight and the white people say, oh, they're, they're wanting to fight. And this, it becomes a, it's almost a bad word. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think that, so it, you've defined it before, I believe. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I can't, I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot I'm yeah. a little bit, I know, but I know you have some strong thoughts on justice. Yeah, because there's, I mean, honestly, when you say that, I even struggle with that because I, I, for me, there's, there's two sides of justice. Okay. When I think about justice in the military context, it's a fight. Right. I mean, we're shooting bullets downrange to get the oppressor off the one who is oppressed. So it is a fight. So let's let's just be real. Right. But also in injustice, we 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 have to remember what we're trying to attain. And what we're trying to attain, the end result of that justice, is maybe it's a civil society. Maybe it's a society where the dictators are no longer in charge and people are being fed and clothed and, and they can send their kids to school in peace and love and prosperity. So that's the side of justice that I think people need to hear more of. So mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. just to spell it out, there's two lanes, right? Right. right. Um, now, how you get to that place is tricky. It is hard because sometimes you got to step in and you got to fight the bully. But I also do know that you win a lot of times through loving. And it reminds me yeah. of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Right. When they go low, you go super high and you kill them with kindness. Right. So. I don't know if that answers your questions. No, but no, I, I love it. When you say that, that's what comes to mind. The yeah. dichotomy within that statement. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. I think people are just seeing one one right. side of that. I think and, there's another there's another dimension of it that I mm -hmm. wanted to ask about. Because when I think of justice in this context, what I hear is punishment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting what you deserve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. that... When you say, because you've said a minute a bunch mm -hmm. of times, you're on the side of justice. Mm -hmm. okay. Does that include the punishment side? Yeah, I think, and, and that's tough. If you ask a Christian about the punishment side, mm -hmm. um, the perspective we take it from is vengeance is mine, says the, the Lord. Lord. So it's really hard right. as human beings to decide what punishment should be instituted, right? right? And we can get into a lot of trouble when we start playing 
you know, facilitator of what this looks yes. like. Um, so in a lot of seasons where I've been in conflict, I've had to re- resolve myself to saying, I'm just going to make sure my actions are correct and allow God to facilitate his type of punishment. And usually when I do it that way, it is far, it's way better than anything I could have come up with. And it's beneficial all the way around. So that's a really tough question. The reason I ask about that again is thinking through the Christian perspective and this idea, this question of where is forgiveness, that, that has been on my mind. And justice is... I don't know. Maybe it says something about me when I think about justice. I think about punishment. (laughs) I don't know what that means. You know, that's interesting. Like that. That's interesting. Says something about me. How can it not? Well, I'm gonna Clay. I'll let you unpack that about me here in a second. (laughs) I love it. But you know what comes to mind is is Jesus being on the cross and mm. he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know mm-hmm. what they are doing. And Jesus was the only one capable of being the sacrifice that could justify before God humanity's shortcomings, mm-hmm. misgivings, mm-hmm. outright blatant failures. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to say, let's fight for justice when justice isn't humans to give in some respect. It's grace. Where is grace? Where is the message of grace out here as we're trying to fight for a better society? Who is advocating for mercy? Again, I can't. Who is advocating for grace? I can't. So the interesting thing there to me is that when you start looking at these ideas and abstractions from the perspective that you've just described, Jared, is that justice was paid paradoxically. Mm -hmm. The idea of justice or getting what's deserved or the payment, if you will, for wrongdoings, for, for all of the junk. It was paid for paradoxically. You know, the one by, who didn't by, need to pay it paid the sacrifice, it. right? Mm-hmm. So justice and mercy at the same time, right? And and so they're held together. We can't see justice and mercy as separate abstractions. Mm-hmm. They are held together. They are two dimensions of the same abstraction that we don't really have a word for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, anytime you say justice. It must be connected to mercy. Mm -hmm. And so in our culture, in our country, this is the big challenge because we have them separated as if they are two different abstractions. So your question is great. All of our points are great. But, you know, can we get can we get the country to hold those two things together? And that's what I was meaning earlier when I said Forgiveness is the path to justice. Yeah. We've been going about it possibly as seeking justice and then we'll forgive. There's no paradox in that. 
you've mentioned the paradox of (laughs) some stuff you find in Scripture with the Beatitudes. Uh, The paradox, you know, is that we initiate the mercy and the forgiveness all around to everybody, not Mm -hmm. one group Mm -hmm. really to another, but in general. And I think that paradoxical approach is what's going to find us somewhere down the road experiencing a more just society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way I look at this is uh, I wonder how white Americans feel. Do white Americans feel that they are the majority, they are well off, they've had advantages that other groups have not had educationally, in many cases, they're far more advanced. And maybe it's hard for you to answer that. I'm just processing this through my head. Do they see... I can successfully speak for all white Americans. Right, right. Just like I can speak for all white <laughs> do, do they see that they are in the power position? And, and I think that's the, the problem because when you're sitting in a seat of power, you have the responsibility, right? So my daughter and I, we got into a little spat, right? She did something wrong and I was really upset and I was ready to deliver justice. (laughs) Punishment, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was. But you know what I caught myself doing? I said, this is my daughter, she's 16. Mm -hmm. And I think what she needs to see from her dad right now is, (laughs) I'm gonna forgive you. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes and your dad has made some. And do you know what that did to her? Oh, you know, it, that broke her down more than any punishment that, that I think I could deliver. So for our white listeners, I know many have grown up rural and poor. And I, and I get all that. But as a general rule of thumb, I think white America has to see and has to acknowledge that they are in a power position. Right. And you're dealing with people who in a lot of ways are in lower positions. And the tone that you set will make all the difference, right? All the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I just feel like that has to be stated, although I'm sure many white listeners won't even identify with that. Right. They say that's not the case, because I know black people that are doing better than me, right? So... Well, if I can speak to that just... Please do. That's why I brought that up. I just wanted to... And, and I'm not saying that this represents me. I'm not going to mm-hmm. own that. But I, I will tell you some things that I hear that, you know, one of them is I think fundamentally, and again, it speaks to the individualism that we we yeah. talked about before, yeah. is that racism isn't really the problem that keeps certain people down. Mm-hmm. It's the focus seems to be on what takes people up Mm -hmm. and what takes people up is education, work ethic. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what takes you up. I don't think I don't think there's much attention to keeping other people down. Mm. No, that makes good sense. So and the other idea is we think, well, we're in America and the poor in America are still largely rich yeah. compared to the world. And so you think, man, if there's ever a place with opportunity, it's here. Uh, maybe totally bogus. I'm just saying that's what people say. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I th- so if you're if you're asking for what white people think, I'm saying I don't I don't know, but that's what I have heard that, you know, and uh-huh. so whatever so, that means. I don't so know. here, see, and this is where it's problematic to even have this discussion on forgiveness and apologies mm-hmm. when we're beginning in two separate, way yeah. far away spaces, yeah. right? Yeah. And if we can't. I, I, you know, I don't yeah. know how we figured this piece out, but this mm-hmm. this is a this is the issue. To, we can't even have a conversation. That's the that's yeah. the that's the difficulty in it all, and and mm-hmm. the which makes either the apology, forgiveness, mercy, whatever, so difficult, and yeah. and it seems so impossible. Mm-hmm. Which is what I meant when we started with accepting all. Yeah. Yeah, narratives yeah. of history. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The reason we, the reason we struggle is because the white people won't listen mm-hmm. to your narrative of history, mm-hmm. and we and it goes circles all the way back to some of our beginning right. stuff because it's it's uncomfortable and it's like wow, I don't I right. don't want to be right. around right. that. That's horrible. Right. And so I yeah, I, I don't listen to that, mm-hmm. but. We have to, as a culture, hear all of the narratives. To and what a great question! Mm-hmm. How are white people generally organized mm-hmm. around these ideas? And I would have to agree with Jared is that they do not think that they sit in a position of power. Wow, and that's not. crazy. This is new. This is like wow. I'm like white. Is, is, is that an? Is that an? You can't. Not acknowledge history. No, that's right. And here, and here's like you were saying, James. Here's how do you even have a conversation if you're at such two different mm-hmm. places? Right. I wish I could explain to you why the general white population doesn't consider themselves in a position of power. And my best guess, right off the cuff, is that because there's someone above them. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, if if you look at the middle class, let's say, if we assume that the middle class is the largest, you know, number of folks mm-hmm. in the nation. Right. You know, it's that operational group. Right. You know, right. you as a major, do you consider yourself sitting in a position of power? Kind of, but not. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on your perspective. <laughs> yeah. So I would answer the question in exactly the same mm-hmm. way because most white America is at that operational mm-hmm. place. And so right. they don't. Because That's good. It, somebody That's good. up there. And so they don't. They don't consider themselves uh, really in power if they're looking down to the tactical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the class that might be lower. Mm-hmm. Now, the class that is lower, socioeconomic class, mm-hmm. will say that maybe a lower class, they're looking at the middle class yeah. and they're experiencing some aspects of oppression. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the middle class is clueless. Yeah. They don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. And if the lower class says something to the middle class, they look at them like, what, dude? <laughs> no, man, you, you, you got all the same opportunities. Get up that to I where do. we are, right? You got every right. all the opportunities, and that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. 
pet peeve of mine is when people say you have the same opportunities because yeah. that is categorically false. Right. right. The creator will equally distribute talent, but opportunity is not equally mm-hmm. distributed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, other discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that middle class doesn't really see it mm-hmm. because of the upper class above them and they don't pay attention to the lower the lower class and we're just using these distinct mm-hmm. distinctions for conversation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. They get it the most. Mm-hmm. They're the most yeah. oppressed if mm-hmm. we want to use those mm-hmm. words. The upper class, they're so arrogant they don't pay attention to any of it. Right. Because they're removed from all mm-hmm. of it. They've made it out of it. They've made it out. And so they're so far removed that the idea of power doesn't occur to them because mm-hmm. it's, it, you don't even warrant consideration right. to come to their mind that, that there might be a power differential. Mm-hmm. You're not even important enough at the middle class and at the lower classes to even, you know, you go back to that famous quote from the, the French queen during the uh, revolution, you know, wasn't it? Marie Antoinette. I heard that they said, you know, the people are, you know, they're they're out of bread. Mm-hmm. There's no bread. Right, right, they're, right. they're out of bread. And she said, well, let them eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was, it, I think that was an actual, she actually said that. That's how far oh. removed so to address your question of an awareness of a power differential, yeah. no, can't even, no, no, no. Well, it makes me think to how I was raised. As far as the government is concerned, I've lived through all three yeah. economic levels. And I'll tell you, my parents didn't go to college. My grandparents didn't go. My great-grandparents didn't go. I'm the first in the line. Mm-hmm. And as I was growing up, my parents always wanted better for me than what mm-hmm. they grew up having. Mm-hmm. And they've gone on to do fine. But they come from very, you know, my, my dad, when my dad was 14 years old, he got a job to help put food on his family's table. Mm-hmm. My dad's parents were, were quite poor they, their whole life. And my, my mom is, you know, she comes from a farm family. And some of them are middle class. Some of them still struggle, Mm. struggle quite a bit, right? So I'm financially the most successful person in our family, family line that I know of. Mm. But I was raised with the mentality of education, work hard, the drive to keep going up. Not for the sake of money, but for the sake of responsibility yeah. Mm-hmm. For one. Yeah. yeah but also your families they're trying to upward trying movement. to yeah. trying to lift you up and and so that's keep on keeping on right in a way right 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 you know? it really is so if you're asking me you know I don't, I don't have a background that tells me that i should be in a position of power mm. i wasn't raised to think like that mm-hmm. i don't know it, it just you know that's good you know, that's that really, is, good. That it, really it's, good. It's helping me see some things. That is really good. But then I still see a big gaping chasm. Mm-hmm. There is. Right? I mean, yeah. and I, I I don't really even have to say it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like some people chose to come here. 
some people were brought here mm -hmm. and forced to work for those who chose to come here. Mm -hmm. Right. But I identify with everything you just said, though. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 There's a reason we all need to talk yeah. more and share our stories, mm -hmm. you know, and allow those connections to start to grow mm -hmm. because we don't do that. We don't have those connections. Yeah, so, right. and, and then those presuppositions get to be so strong. Yeah. You know, they mm -hmm. may or may not be right. So it's really interesting. And I, and I often talk really about what we're talking about in terms of systemic racism to me is embedded in the idea of classism. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually think systemic classism mm. wow. is more <laughs> detrimental mm. and damaging mm. than uh, racism is. And I'm not discounting racism, racism but I, right. but if you if you really connect those two, it just happens coincidentally almost to turn into a racial issue. Mm -hmm. It's really, you know, somewhat about economics and how we're organized around around money. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I think about the slave trade, just the, the, the origins of it, like there were tribes in Africa enslaving their own people. Mm -hmm. We know true. that, right? True, and true. just didn't like them. And yeah. then you have the, was it the Spanish first? Right. They come in, they didn't come in, I think, looking at the tribal leaders who had all these enslaved people going, we're so much better than you. They had to come on African soil and like negotiate with the people that were higher up, right? And then I think a narrative is formed once those slaves come, they're lower class, they're black. And that means they're in this position because of yada, 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 yada. And right. maybe racism yeah. ensues from there. I, I just don't, I, it's very interesting to kind of process all of that through the lenses of, of class, and then that that goes further back, and it makes me think about the biblical narrative. The love of money is the root of all yeah. kinds of evil, right? Yeah. So maybe the real real issue in America has been this classism mm -hmm. uh, coupled with people who look differently from different places, yeah. and we label them, and we're so much better because we're not in the fields. Right. And and then I think about our our Hispanic population today, right? That are the migrant workers in the fields yes. of California that nobody yes. thinks about. They come and cut the grass, and right? Absolutely. But we're better than them, and they cross the border illegally. And look how they, I, I don't know, it's just. But it really opens up yeah. Pandora's box, yeah. so to speak. If we're talking about what to do about it, right, and we, and it's, if the conversation goes towards classism, what do you do about it? Oh, you know, because then you can get real political. Ooh. Oh, no doubt. But, you know, let's circle back around to where we started. And I'm telling you, the two words I'm sorry breaks down a lot of things. Because the empathy one, really, to me, that, that one is just, and you, you, like you said, the one that I have wronged you, right, that I'm sorry. But the empathetic one, that's one of the more powerful things mm. I think that exists in this world, really. Because when you say that, there's a there's another word we haven't mentioned, there's a there's a humility 
that comes with that, that, that just to me is, is extremely powerful. I always tell people I have several turnarounds, right, that have gotten me to where I am today in coaching and um, to why, you know, there, there's parts of me, even though I probably I always say I'm probably closer to the end of my coaching career than I am to the beginning, but I probably am enjoying it way more today than I ever have from all of these experiences. So, you know, my, my girls, I think it was back in 2002, very upset with me, right? We hadn't had a good season and I was a little hard and, and tough because my mind was all focused on winning and different things. So I get rigid and doing things. And so they, they got a little upset and they knew I was a little tough. And so they went to my authority and the one who was over me and said, you know, the, he is being too tough and this and this. And my boss, my authority said at the time, he said he handled it great. He said, they're a little sore at you. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He said, they're a little sore at you. And when there was players that went to him and told him that, that were, I was very close to. And that to me, one is one of the most, I never felt so backstabbed before in my life. Mm -hmm. So I had that, I had about an hour to myself after he told me that. And I was, I mean, and, and, and this, I, I attribute all this to, to God because the, the person in me would have, would have lashed out, but I took about an hour before I called, I called that young lady and I, the first words out of my mouth were, I'm sorry. I'm so I'm sorry that you guys feel this way. And, then I, and she did what your daughter mm -hmm. did. She started crying. Mm -hmm. And she said, she, her first words were, Coach, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we did, we went to him and did it and we're behind mm -hmm. your back and da, da, da. But we were just feeling that way. And I said, I completely understand why you felt that way. And I said, that's, it's my fault. I apologize. Um, now there's a, there's a part of that I'm sorry that was you know I did wrong them, mm -hmm. but, but there's a bigger part of that sorry was I feel bad that you feel that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to feel that way anymore, and that was a learning thing for me. And there's not a there's not many days, and so you know even talking to now with my daughter, I'm the exact same way. I have to look at her through a different lens and understand what all is that she's going through and how and, and what she's experiencing and saying, even though I'm not the root cause of some of the experiences that you're having, I'm still, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Mm -hmm. What is it that I can do to help you? Mm. And we need a lot of that right now. That's the listening that puts you out there to listen, especially when I say, what is it that I can do now? I've asked, I put myself in a position to listen and to act upon. Mm -hmm. And the more we get to do that, I think the better. And I, I truly believe that that's not just a white or black thing. I think that's an all of us thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, Jared, what you explained to me, I mean, it, it is this eye opening. I mean, you're, you, you're, 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 you're me. You know, my parents had an education and they went, both went on and got there. But, but the way my dad, he went through it all I and mean, he had nothing. 
and everything that he has just is through hard work. He never, that is one man that never looks at himself better than anybody mm. else. And um, and he, he just raised me to work hard. Education, value education, work hard, keep on keeping on. And so it is very, I'm, I thank you for sharing your, your story because it, it helps me understand maybe I perceive most white people maybe in the wrong way. Silver spoon. Silver right, spoon. Right, right. And, and that's not the case, but that's the listening. Mm-hmm. We need to share our stories, like you said, coach, and, and, and understand those things. And that's and when we can do that, this world will be better. This place will be better. And our relationships will grow. Our churches will be stronger, closer, because we're willing to listen and we're willing to to we're, we're willing to also take a step back, uh, be a little more humble, one down position, what I call it, you know. And that's big, that's big for growth. So I just wanted to share that story because I think you know, going back, like I said, circling back around the 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 apology, the I'm sorry, uh, whether I've wronged you or not, is powerful. Well, you know, I'm glad you took us back there because. Because I wouldn't have guessed you would have said what you said. And make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Mm-hmm. As it was said earlier in our discussion, I wrote down this question. It said, under the uh, apology where it's connected to empathy, mm-hmm. I wrote, is this enough? Because it seems to me, I would have thought that you guys would say, and eh, that's kind of the, maybe a part of it. But really, we want you to take ownership of what you've done. Mm-hmm. Because unless you take ownership of what you've done, you're... Your apology falls way too short. I don't know if that is how you feel, but no, that's of, exactly. That's how you feel. <laughs> if I say to my wife, "I'm sorry," she, you better know what you did, yeah. right? Yeah, for yeah. it to make a little bit more sense. Don't you pacify me? <laughs> but it is interesting, though, that you place such an emphasis, Greg, on on the apology with empathy, almost like because maybe. The empathy is what connects us as people. Right? Mm-hmm. That represents human connection, maybe more so than ownership. And I really would have undervalued that, right. you know. And I don't know how. I don't know how. Jason, what do, mm-hmm. what do you think? Your ownership is important to you. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I like taking the humble route. Mm-hmm. I do. Humility is good, mm-hmm. right? But how about we we pull up our big boy pants and let's all say. We are in great positions. Mm-hmm. I'm a powerful person. And in a lot of ways, I am in a better place than other people are. And why did I say I might be in a higher position? Right. And mm-hmm. I'm okay with being in that position because of the hard work I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say I am. <laughs> and then it makes us feel, oh, wait a minute. Now we do have a responsibility because we are in the power, power position. position. Absolutely. And we don't want to do that for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and that's where that operational level and maybe what you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, us operational folk, we need to say, yeah, we, we are better off than a lot of people. Right. Yes, we worked hard to get here. We all acknowledge right. that. But we are better off than some people. And we are seated in a position of power, mm-hmm. and we better we better humble ourselves and go ahead and just 
And, right. and to build a relationship with the people, what's the position below? Uh, the tactical. The, the, the tactical. That's the below, right? Yeah, yeah the tactical. Well, in a way, we're responsible. I mean, interrupt. No, no, no. Go ahead, coach. We're responsible to those. Yes. Yes. Those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was responsible. That to me was him coming down here was right. A, was a, right. Was right. That was a to me. I call it this an empathetic move. Yes. 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 He felt for his people. God felt for his people. So I, I got to send him down there. Mm-hmm. I got to send him down there. And who's more powerful than God? Right. Right. You know that that's a that was a drastic move. So he, very practical. If you are more well off financially than someone else, right, you're in a power position. Yes. If you have more education than somebody else, you're in a power position. The list can go on and no on doubt. and on and on. And let's just acknowledge that. Yes. Let's just say that. And I think it's okay to say that, right? Because I think, like you said, a lot of people are in the operational level and don't even realize... So yes. we got to come to that realization and say, yeah, we, we are in a better place. I think we avoid that because if we say that, we it ushers the responsibility. <clears throat> so we'd rather not say <clears throat> it. We'd rather say, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not in that position. <clears throat> Therefore, I have no responsibility <clears throat> to you or someone <clears throat> that has less education or, or less money. <clears throat> and, and again, I, I'll, I'll come back to the, the paradox is key. Yeah. Yeah. And that and you can't study a paradox. You can only experience it. You can't teach a paradox. I mean you can talk about it and form it, but it's 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 experiential in right. nature. We're getting up to the what to do, you know, and we're beginning to unpack some some what I call the complexity of the solution. Mm. We spent all the time talking about the complexity of the problem, mm-hmm. and now we must shift in context and begin to talk about the complexity of the solution. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jared. Yes. Okay. yes. I'm, I'm not still going where we we're, currently are. We're gonna we're gonna be here for we could be here for a while. You know, I don't think we're going anywhere. I mean, and it's not a bad thing. It's no. it's compl- it, it is complex, Coach. Just like you said. Yeah. And so the so the questions will begin to shift mm-hmm. a little bit into mm-hmm. how how will we know when this process of change is beginning mm-hmm. because it can't happen overnight. What are, what are we going to look for? How are we going to educate people in a way that, that they go, Hey, something is changing mm. because you can't watch an iceberg melt and feel very encouraged. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks like nothing happens. <laughs> So excited! <laughs> Next week, global warming. Yeah. So if you, it, but if everybody's staring at that iceberg, they're like, "There's nothing. Nothing's changing. Nothing's changing at all." You know, maybe we see a little chunk fall off occasionally, and everybody goes, "Yay!" <laughs> Look at that. You know. But, so you know what these these questions are, are mm. difficult because we must begin to identify micro changes in process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and get people aware of them and going, Hey, 
there's there's some seeds for change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, that, hey, there's something we're looking for. This, this dialogue, sharing stories, you know, talking, mm-hmm. realizing that, you mean, most white people don't, mm-hmm. they don't think that. We think that they <laughs> right, think right, that. Right, right. But that's valuable mm-hmm. stuff. No doubt. You know, to, no to really doubt. share. And so... And so again, what the only we, we looked at what to do, but the things we threw out, they are just the beginnings. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, part of that sharing in the sadness and saying, I'm sorry, it isn't enough, but it's a good beginning. We're in the batter's box. Yeah. Maybe the bat has just touched the ball by saying, I'm sorry. There's a lot left to. Yeah, you know to do absolutely, and uh, and so maybe that's where we move. Mm-hmm. Is it time to wrap up the show? Yeah, Dad, gummit. My mind, is, <laughs> my mind is blown for the yeah. night. Here's a common thing that I deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I'm a dentist. I see patients, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people that stereotype that Mm -hmm. and I think they expect me to think a certain way they expect me to act in a certain way I want to say to borrow a phrase from Clay a few weeks ago what planet have you been on Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know because I think I think a lot of people would think that someone who does what I do they I would view myself in a power position. I would view myself as maybe better than. I would view myself as entitled mm-hmm. to. And I'm not saying I've never been guilty of that. I have. Mm-hmm. But lately it has been much more on my mind that I'm really at the mercy of people. Mm-hmm. I am at the mercy of every person I see. Their opinion of me, their experience of me, is so much of it's out of my control. So much of it is beyond, you know, it's it's very, very going to the dentist is a very emotional experience for a lot of people. And I have a very limited ability to influence that or affect that in some way. And so I feel I feel not in the power position all day, every day. I feel like a servant. I feel like a I feel like a public servant. And I don't think people expect that. I don't know, maybe they do. But I don't think people th- expect to have that kind of mentality. And I'll tell you this, whenever I don't have that mentality, things get screwed up. Yeah, and no doubt. They get screwed up. No and, doubt. And I and unfortunately, sometimes I learn kind of slowly with stuff like that and there have been too many times where inadvertently too, right? Like, I mean, innocently, inadvertently, if I have, if I am not aware that I am in a servant position, man, it just messes everything Mm -hmm. up, you know? And so I feel like I'm at the mercy of people. I don't feel like I'm in a power position. Man, let me, let me jump in on this. (laughs) No, I love it, Jared, because. Yeah. What you're doing for me right now is you're causing me to put myself in your shoes, right? I would have never like, wow, 
Yeah. Wow, that's heavy stuff, right? So, yeah. I wouldn't have um yeah, I mean you can go right now, you can go on the internet right now mm-hmm. and say anything you want to about me. Yeah. And I can't say that. Yeah. I can't respond yeah. to that. Yeah. You know, and your experience can be completely fabricated. It can mm-hmm. be completely one side, you know, whatever. I'm just I'm just yeah. I'm at your mercy. Not just not just my interaction with you, yeah. but how everybody else is aware of me. And that's a struggle. Of me. That's a struggle. But if you got a tooth that's falling out that can decay and cause toxins to get into your body and kill you, <laughs> I can't work on that tooth by myself. Right. So people I think who come to the dentist, for example, would say, without you, I I can't even move and function, yeah. right? So when I and this is what I no, do. No, they don't say that. They say no offense, but I hate the dentist. Man, man. I hate the shot. When I, I go to the, the dentist, I'm smoke. like, great, thank but, you. But but they're here. But they're here. They may say that, but they're yeah. They 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 know they need to hear yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You the dentist holds all the power. Oh. <laughs> man, so so. I, I like what we're doing here because no in, in Jared and I's conversation, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves in each other's shoes. Yeah, shoes. And that is the definition of empathy, in my opinion. Let me try to put myself in your place. Yeah. And the definition of growth, because both of y'all walk out of here having grown. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tonight. Just tonight. Through conversation, listening, everything that Coach throughout there at the beginning, you so, know? Yeah, so when we talk about what do we do, mm-hmm. it makes me think, work on empathy, right? And that's when we pass you over to Clay, <laughs> and we say, work, how, how do we? How do people work on their empathy? Mm. Well, what you, among other things, to have empathy is to learn how to share. Mm. Mm-hmm. And learn is probably a silly word because to to share is pretty self-explanatory. But empathy is sharing, being in each other's shoes, getting in each other's skin. Mm-hmm. If when I say I'm sorry on the empathetic route, what I'm doing is basically saying I want to share your sadness. Mm. I want to share the hurt that is real and out there. And that's what I mean by I'm, I'm sorry or, or to have empathy. And it's not an intellectual acknowledgement. I want to feel it. And I do feel it. And in that way, I'm, we, we are sharing. And it is the baseline human connection. Because everybody's got feelings. Mm-hmm. Some people deny it, but it's not true. They do. And so to answer your question on, you know, how do we do that? Well, we, we share. In order to share, I have to accept. I have to feel. Then I can share. But I, but I have to share in a place that accepts and doesn't reject. Mm-hmm. And we live in culture that basically rejects. Yeah, and that's why, going back to your opening comments about the apology, I know 
Clay, you know, the coach, and I know the man he is. So completely identified with everything you said. Mm-hmm. But I've been in positions as of late where people come up and they say, sorry, I don't know them. They don't know my story. I don't know their story. And like my grandmama used to say, they don't know me from Adam. I don't know you from Adam. Mm, right. And you're coming and you're giving an apology. And for me, in a lot of ways, that feels totally unauthentic. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing by offering that apology when we haven't even had the discussion mm-hmm. yet? Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this so powerful. So I, I don't know if you lead with the apology. I don't I don't know. I don't no, know. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Again, the acceptance of all narratives mm-hmm. of history. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's takes right. a lot that's of what, conversation. That's the, that's the first A no that doubt. you said. That no takes doubt. a lot of conversation. Yeah. 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 And, and so until we can accept our stories, mm. that's what I mean by the narratives gotcha. of that's history. Right. Until we hear our stories, until we sit with each other and tell our stories, right. I promise you that's magical. Yeah. And the problem is we rush through those. Yeah. And we want to get to the apology. Yeah. So, I mean, a separate podcast is, can go into the oh, acceptance yeah. piece, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're really dealing with right now, the, the yeah. acceptance piece. But I think that's our struggle. We want to hurry up and get to the apology. Let's, yeah. let's hurry yeah, up and get there. It's not the lead off. Yeah, it's not the lead off. And it takes a long, I, it takes a long time to get to that place. So, but, I, but, if, but if we do share our stories and we have relationship mm-hmm. and an apology comes... I mean, you can yeah, that, accept it. I mean, mm-hmm. you yeah. go, okay, yeah. we know we've yeah. been talking. We That's the story that. with you and your daughter. That's mm-hmm. the story with me and, and my mm-hmm. daughter, my soccer player, because the relationship was already there. Yeah. Yeah. So I could lead with that. Sure. And we knew, we, we, when I said that, she knew exactly. Right. She, right. You know what I mean? She knew. It was authentic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hers was authentic gotcha, right gotcha. back to me. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I'm tracking. Yeah. What happened is you accepted their narrative yes. of the situation. Yes. You came to them, then they accepted your narrative yeah, of the situation, and all of that just dissolves away. Mm-hmm. And then we collaborate to make things better. So you really don't. The point's well taken. You don't lead with the apology. You lead with that sharing Absolutely. of the histories and the stories and, and, and to accept it. And then agree, that's what I meant by agree on the fact that here is the past. Mm-hmm. And it, and we're, here we are. Mm-hmm. And we want to move forward. It's good. That helped me tremendously. I've gone back and listened to that recording several times. And if I were to go back and listen several more times, I'm pretty sure I would keep pulling out new thoughts and probably... A lot more new questions. Going into this episode, the question that's been on my mind is where does forgiveness fit in the racism movement and where does it fit right now? Maybe it doesn't fit right now. Maybe it has to be a few steps ahead of where we currently are, but who would know that any of us cares about it? Because the truth is that no one's putting forgiveness anywhere out there as a goal. Equality is a publicly stated goal, justice is a publicly stated goal. Forgiveness is absolutely nowhere that I can see. You know, as I sit here and record this, I can look across the room at my desk and I see my key ring. 
And on that key ring, there are at least a dozen keys, most of which I won't need today. Today, I'll probably only need two or three of them. But the whole ring of keys is going to go with me everywhere I go, regardless of whether I need them or not. Today, we may not expect to need our forgiveness key, but it needs to go with us wherever we go. I'm not saying let's bypass justice. I'm not saying we don't need equality. We shouldn't dismiss the pain or diminish any sense of responsibility. No one needs to do that. I'm just saying that in our approach to make a better nation, we're leaving out something very important if we don't keep forgiveness with us at all times. A desire, a spirit of forgiveness, it needs to go with us everywhere we go. We know our fight against racism is going to take acceptance. We talked about that today. We talked about how it's going to take empathy. It will also take listening. But it will always take forgiveness, too. Keep the forgiveness key with you and be ready to use it. Thanks again for joining us today. And a big thanks for our special guests for this series, Dr. Greg Harris and Chaplain Jason Darden. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about us. We need all the help we can get with our mission to build more unity in our world. And we'd love to have your friends and your family listening in with us. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and our other episodes of In Session with Jared and Clay are available wherever you get your podcasts. But the episodes always release first on our website. So come see us there on InSessionPodcast.com.